Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring the culinary wonders of urban New Jersey with a tour through Newark. We speak to Frank Mentesana at Phillips Academy Public Charter School. This idea of family style and made from scratch lunches continues to be a bit of an anomaly in the city. We also hear from Gil Speyer from All Points West Distillery. Newark used to have an incredibly rich beverage alcohol history. And we'll tour Aero Farms, the world's largest indoor vertical farm. We're growing using 390 times more productivity than field farming and 95% less water. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network to be amazed at the wonders of Newark. That's meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway. It's a little bit of a rainy day here in Brooklyn, but it's definitely warmed up here a lot. So spring has sprung. And along with it, we've gotten a flourish of really great new cookbooks to check out. Um, I'm so proud that we're, we've been on a little bit of a tear of awesome books on this show. Um, actually, the book I'm holding right now came, in, came out in February. But its cover and its colors, um, the fresh ingredients throughout it just really make me excited for cooking simply with fresh, wonderful ingredients from the summer, spring, and beyond. It is called Vietnamese Food Every Day, and it is by the legendary cookbook author and two-time guest here on the show. It's Andrea Nguyen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for Kathy. Kathy, for having me back. Yeah, congrats. And so you are the author of some iconic books, um, Into the Vietnamese Kitchen from 2006. Then there was Asian Dumplings, Asian Tofu, Ban Mi, Pho, which won the James Beard Award last year for Best Single Subject Cookbook. So um, those are some classics in my book shelf, for sure, and <laughs> in the world of cookbooks. Well, I want to see your shelfie. Uh, well, your shelfie probably looks my, like mine, and I'm, I'm extremely honored and flattered by that. You know, it's actually more of like a cookbook area, because it's like right. piles and piles, too. So <laughs> I have to say, though, your latest book, um, my boyfriend decided to cook dinner one day, and he wandered over to this area, picked out your book, Vietnamese cook, Cooking, I'm um, sorry, yeah, Vietnamese Food Every Day. And uh, proceeded to make a dish from it. So he loved it. Yeah. And I do, too. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, um, the point to Vietnamese food any day Mm -hmm. is that you can make it anytime you want. Right. And um, I surely don't expect people to prepare Vietnamese food every day because I don't. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's just like unrealistic, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you make pizza and you make pizza on a weeknight, why shouldn't you make Vietnamese too. Mm-hmm. And we live in a global um, society and we should cook and eat globally as well in our homes. Mm. Yeah. And I love that, that notion that you can, you can mix and match too. But why, why then the title Vietnamese food every day? Is that, <laughs> is it like... I have to correct you. It's any day. Any day. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that no, that clarifies okay. it. <laughs> Uh, okay. Anyway, but um, any day. Um, but 
Anyway, how does this cookbook fall into the canon of your work? Because you've written a lot of, as we mentioned, some single subject cookbooks that were uh, terrific. I really think that, you know, the Asian tofu is so well researched. It's such a great, <laughs> it's a great resource, really. Right. And, and the, you do a lot of in-depth work about the history, like, like in the pho cookbook and so forth. So how do you see this cookbook? Well, um, I wanted to really use this book as a way to um, open up the doors and invite a much broader audience um, to make Vietnamese food. Mm -hmm. And I've been wanting to write this book um, for many years because I have an obsession with American supermarkets. Ever since I was a kid, I actually have like a strange obsession Mm -hmm. with with grocery shopping. Mm -hmm. And that like goes back to when I lived in Vietnam as a kid, and I just loved going to look at food with um, our housekeeper. Mm. And, you know, we were fortunate to have a housekeeper, and when we came to the United States, our um, economic situation changed, as with, you know, it happened with a lot of other refugees. And and we came here, and um, my mom was already a very good cook, but she needed to um, find ways to make Vietnamese food with ingredients at hand. Mm-hmm. And that was back in 1975 when there weren't, you know, many little Saigon supermarkets were not around, definitely. Uh-huh. And um, we pretty much relied upon American grocery stores. Yeah. And there was no fish sauce and no rice paper and no good rice noodles at, you know, your Kroger market. I thought it was uh, really comical that the only brand of soy sauce you mentioned was La Choy, which is not exactly the same ingredient. (laughs) No, but as La Choy promises, it's the preferred brand. (laughs) Okay, so you guys were like, well, okay, let's go with that. (laughs) Right, no, I mean, you know, it was okay, and Mm -hmm. my mom and dad even said the other day that they were missing these sticky rice cakes that that they would, um, you know, buy from a street vendor, and later on my mom figured out how to make them herself. Um, from Mochiko rice flour, which is a Japanese-American rice flour milled, uh, grown and milled in the Central Valley in California. But before she just made those discoveries, my dad goes, you know what? We use English muffins because they were round and mm. kind of small. And then we, like, used, like, some turkey ham because it was round and could, could be sliced and put into the English muffin. Oh. He goes, that was, you know, your um, breakfast sandwich. That sounds <laughs> delicious. Did you? Well, you know, it was like this mm-hmm. thing of like looking at what was available in America and going, okay, we have to make these things like um, Vietnamese, Viet Glish. So um, <laughs> my mom made adaptions, like, you know, she did things like she took um, Swansdown cake flour and used it as a sub for rice mm. flour. This oh, is something that so a lot finer. of Vietnamese American refugee cooks were doing, and they would get mm-hmm. on the phone, and they would swap um, cooking tips and, and recipes. Secrets, yeah, wow. yeah, and and it and because you know people were far away from Asian markets, so I took lessons like that. In addition to things like when we got to America, we looked around, we we're like, oh my gosh, there's like really nice refined sugar. We can make Vietnamese caramel sauce, mm-hmm. you know, bittersweet um, pantry staple mm-hmm. to um, simmer foods with that are similar to like Chinese red cooked dishes, but oh. we use fish sauce. Did you have and, back in yeah. Saigon more of like hard chunks, like rock sugar? Yeah, yeah, or you okay. would have like sugar that wasn't so refined, so uh-huh. when you went to caramelize it, it would break. It, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> but here we were like, oh my God, look at <laughs> So there were like benefits yeah. to being yeah. a refugee, okay. right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but so, you know, I learned from watching and observing my parents how to mine mm. um, American supermarkets. And like in my previous books, you know, a lot of things you can source at um, regular markets, but people still feel like, oh my gosh, you know, I have to go to an Asian market to get something authentic. Well, that has totally changed with the the diversity of, of supermarket inventories. And there's fabulous fish sauce, good rice paper, mm. you know, good noodles. And I mean, there's like fresh turmeric, which was huge. basically not available in the U.S., you know, until relatively recently. Um, coconut water, you know, which we think is like a healthy thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I look at, You're like, uh, that's normal. <laughs> right, right. But, like, I looked at that and I'm like, that's not for hydration, that's for cooking. Uh-huh. I mean, there's all kinds of game changers available now at the main greens mainstream supermarkets that really just, you know, allow people to make Vietnamese flavors um, well mm-hmm. and very easily. So that's what this book does. And, um, you know, I've streamlined certain things like using like a pressure cooker or instant pot multi-cooker. Um, and it's been really liberating. You know, it's not, some of it is just like pared down, like I'll make salads without mm-hmm. all like fanciful stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, like a, a there's a green mango salad that I'm like, you know what? If you just like leave out the um, shrimp and chicken and all that, you have a beautiful salad that you can really taste the mango and the herbs right. and stuff. You I know, love that. they're flexible. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And then you can use like canned uh, fried onions if you want to instead of can uh, instead of fried shallots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Which you know. Like, chefs will say, oh, it doesn't take long to, to fry shallots. But I'm like, dude, you only need, like, two <laughs> tablespoons? Yeah. And, and yeah, you know, like, sense. you know what it's like, Kathy. You write a cookbook mm-hmm. and you want people to make this food. Right. Right. And, and you know, some, some of that is, like, uh, cultural, too, because you'll have fried shallots very easily accessible in some some cultures, like Taiwan, for instance. <laughs> it's just like a normal thing to grab in the grocery aisle. But you won't have that here. But you do have fried onions in the can. So it's like, well, you know, that's a perfect fix. Yeah. It's a perfect fix. And people, you know, assume that everything in the old country is it's done mm-hmm. in, you know, laborious manners. Oh, okay. But, for example, like with lemongrass, I've been back to Vietnam and I'll see fresh chopped, um, finely chopped lemongrass in the wet markets. Mm -hmm. And um, you can buy like a nickel's worth. And -hmm. I remember um, talking to the vendor and saying, oh my gosh, sister, do you, you know, chop this lemongrass every day for customers? (laughs) And she looks at me and she goes, no, sister, are you kidding? I use a machine. (laughs) Oh, wow. And so, I mean, we we assume that that these cultures that are unfamiliar and so-called exotic live in some crystallized form. Mm Mm-hmm. But they don't. Right, right. And that's the old world is always somehow more pure or, <laughs> you know, yeah, as you said, more laborious, which is not true. Um, yeah, and we, yeah, we need to, like, liberate ourselves and also liberate these traditional cultures to be modern, too. You know, they mm-hmm, have cell phones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, it sounds like your family really had a knack for taking the best of both worlds, and and you carry that on in this book um, 
For instance, there's the Viet Cajun seafood boil, which sounds lovely. There's some cross-cultural elements throughout. Um, honey hoisin roast chicken. That's um, Is that your own dish, by the way? Are these your own sort of creations? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so like the Viet Cajun thing is, is really speaking to a project that I did for um, the Southern Foodways Alliance um, and years ago where they said, can you look into this for us and do a presentation? And, you know, this is like the, the ultimate Vietnamese-American mashup mm-hmm. of, you know, you get people who are, have a background in fishing back in Vietnam. Right. They come to the United States, settle in the Gulf, and they look around, they're like, they see all these crawfish boils, and they're like, oh, we're from a culture that likes to pick at small bits of shellfish uh-huh. to eat. <laughs> and so why don't we, like, take the traditional crawfish boil and, like, turn it into something Vietnamese? And, like, we, we're going to amp up the heat. We're going to make some kind of buttery sauce, but it's really, like, got margarine in it mm-hmm. and, like, garlic powder and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. then, you know, we're going to use, like, this dipping sauce that's Vietnamese. It's, like, salt, uh, black pepper, and uh, lime juice. It looks And awesome. it becomes this Vietnamese thing, but it is Vietnamese-American. Right, right. And what this um, book does is, you know, by, by inviting people to, to wrap their heads around the ideas of you can have Vietnamese food any day, it is also, I'm trying to convey the idea of not just Vietnamese-American culture, mm-hmm. but Vietnamese-America Mm-hmm. in the sense that we can all contribute to it and participate in it. And that particular dish is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I love that there's like chunks of corn here and andouille sausage studded throughout this mix. It's a, it's a fun, refreshing twist on a, maybe a, an old, stale classic that could use a little bit of twists and turns. Um, well, what do you think? You just said, um, you know, we all need to keep sort of participating and moving, you know, we can all play a role in making Vietnamese food every day or any day. Sorry, I keep saying (laughs) the wrong subtitle in my head. That is (laughs) your book is called that. But um, what do you think about people who are not from a Vietnamese background that are just trying out some of your recipes for the first time, taking them, uh, improvising a little bit, trying something new and then saying, hey, this is Vietnamese food. You know, I... um I'm all for that. And the mm-hmm. reason, you know, I wrote this book is I thought there are a lot of quote-unquote Vietnamese-inspired recipes out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they're written by, you know, competent people. But I wanted to present in this book, and you'll read in the head notes, and there's, a you know, explanations as to, like, ingredient substitutes and um and historical background or cultural background that allows people, first-timers, who are new to Vietnamese food, to, like, wrap their heads around and understand the foundations. And that's the point of the book, Mm. is that you can make this easy food. There are gateway recipes. I'm going to help you understand the cultural foundations of the cuisine. I'm not going to dumb it down for you um, intellectually, but it's going to be, like, technically a little easier for you. Okay. So, for example... um, uh, I explain how to make um, Vietnamese sizzling crepes, bánh xèo, mm. which are um, traditionally, I have a recipe in my first book, um, Into the Vietnamese Kitchen, that calls that you soak rice and you grind it up in a blender. Mm. 
Mm. And then, or you can substitute like Thai rice flour, but it tastes really good with with flour that you grind yourself. Mm. But then for this book, I was like, okay, let's say I don't want to soak my own rice. Let's say I don't want to like go to the Asian market. What can I do with like rice flour that is purchased from a regular market? And that's like Bob's Red Mill stuff. Mm. And it's a different flour because it's a coarser flour. So like after months of like, trying to figure it out, I, I came up with a solution, um, which was to, to use hot water to soften the flour oh. and make it, um, uh, like, soft enough and texturally, you know, pourable so that it became, like, a really lovely crepe. And um, so, you know, that recipe's in there, and traditionally, like, you would put straw mushroom in there, but I was, like, looking at my mom's kitchen one day when she was making these crepes, and she's, like, using regular white mushrooms. Uh-huh. And yeah. she's, like, they're cheaper and fresh, you yeah. know. You can get fresh straw mushrooms in Vietnam, but here, like, you have them get them in the can, and they're not that good, she said. Uh-huh. So just use, like, regular, you know, fresh, whatever fresh mushroom you've got. And in Vietnam, too, you can, like, use, you know, get these crepes filled with different things, not just the traditional items. And so, you know, I looked at all that. I'm like, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to say to people, you know, these are the steps that I went through. Mm -hmm. The resulting crepe um, is heartier. um, And I say that outright in a straightforward manner in the recipe introduction than the original, but they're really, really good. And then because it's a long recipe and the, the approach is a little bit um, strange. It's not like making an omelet, for example, or making a dosa. Oh, okay. um, we we mm. did like process shots. Mm. And there have been like straight up, like not just beginner cooks, but also like friends of mine who are um, professional food people who like read that recipe and they've gone, oh my God, now I understand how to make that. <laughs> That's And really then like helpful, this yeah. woman said to me the other day, oh, her teenage son made the crepes. So, I mean, these, you know, it's like really trying to teach and help people understand the culture Mm -hmm. and, and, um, you know, and explain that this is a Southern Vietnamese thing. So all of Mm -hmm. these things, you know, all of these like bits of information are tucked into the book and I try to maximize um, all the space in there to, you know, make it like a pleasant experience for folks. I love that it's um, you're sort of carrying on the tradition of sharing those tips of what to use to substitute that that your um, you know family or relatives and friends were, were doing back then when they couldn't get the th- the, the ingredients that they were used to in the supermarket. Um, so that's kind of fun, um, Andrew. We're going to cut to a quick little commercial and be right back chatting more about this book and more. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of Swiss Gruyere into the United States, but that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kotbalk Cave Age cheeses, 
Appenzeller, Tete de Moine, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit MEUSA.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio has plenty more. Hi, I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I'm the host of Feast Your Ears here on HRN. My show explores the world of food through storytelling. Every week, I talk with people inside and outside the food world about how experience has shaped what they eat and cook. You can find Feast Your Ears wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. All right, we're back chatting about Andrew and Yen's new book, Vietnamese Food Any Day, Simple Recipes for True Fresh Flavors. Hey, Andrea, you still there? I sure am, Kathy. Awesome. So in true Andrea fashion, this book actually gives you a ton more than just recipes. There's vignettes, there's helpful charts, there's beautiful essays, like such as the beginning where you where you describe the shopping experience back in Saigon and, and growing up in, in California. So uh, well done again. <laughs> and um, Andrea, so to back up a little bit, um, last year your book... Uh, the Faux Cook, the Faux Cookbook, won the 2018 James Beard Award for Best Single Subject Cookbook. It was seen as um, that year was seen as sort of um, a wonderful moment of progress for food media, as well as um, just the James Beard Awards, Food and Restaurant Awards. Um, that year, we saw a lot more representation from people, um, people of color, as well as international cuisine. So there was, um, you know, Michael Twitty won the best book of the year. Um, the sous chef won best American book. You won. You walked away with a medal. And uh, shortly after that ceremony, I sat down here with uh, cookbook author Von Diaz, and we sort of scoped ahead to see, you know, how this progress might continue throughout the next year. We all know that um, James Beard Award, found, uh, the foundation, had put um, a lot of new policies in place to sort of encourage more entries and submission and a more sort of diverse ba- uh, set of um, staff, I think, and judges, too. So they were hoping to keep that momentum going. Um Andrew, how do you think everything has shaped shaped out in the last year or so in the world of food media as a whole? And did did some of these moves translate into more representation? You think? I think that last year um, at the Beard Awards, and you know they're coming up again um, later in April and early May. Right, they just announced it, yeah the finalists. Right, right. And so I walked into the reception and I was like, oh my god, it's so different. Then the first time that I went, which was back in like 2007, so you know that was a long time ago, uh-huh. when, um, it, and it was very white and very establishment. Really, and so last year I was like, oh my gosh, look at all of these people, and I didn't see them necessarily as like I saw this rainbow mm-hmm. <laughs> of of people and and um, coming from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, just because you're a person of a certain color doesn't necessarily mean that, that, you know, you, it, 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 that you have like the same perspectives as someone else of your same race and ethnicity mm-hmm. and, um, and demographic. I mean, I just, I looked in the room and I was like, okay, you know, I feel really comfortable here. And I saw a lot of my friends there here in the room mm-hmm. whom had worked really hard. And so, you know, it, um, it, made me feel really good and positive. And I feel like the like, the nods that the Beard Award gave and inv- signaled mm-hmm. that, yeah, you know, we're inviting more people to the table. But at the same time, I'm like, we've always been at the table. Yeah. We just needed a seat. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And you've been working um, your butts off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, um, I started having more conversations in the last two years, actually, about cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. Um, not just with my friends who are people of color, but also my colleagues who are white. Mm-hmm. And that has never happened before. Mm. They would just kind of, you know, start opening up and asking me questions, oh. and, and we would have really frank, honest conversations. Um, and, I, and I think that for people in food media, it, the point is, is that the diversity is not going to go away. <laughs> yeah. And the gatekeepers more and more are people who come from different backgrounds and have different perspectives that are not of the establishment. And I think that um, that is a sea change in the food landscape, but frankly, it's also um, reflecting what's going on in social media because we're all kind of um, siloed Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of perspectives out there now. Right. There's a lot of vocal discussions going on right now. Um, Go on. Did you want to say something? Yeah. And so, you know, people can have these conversations, but they're not going to be, they're not going to be like shoved into a closet and Mm -hmm. the door can't close on us. (laughs) That's the thing. Because we're not, you know, and and also like with respect to Asian stuff. So last um, summer, when Crazy Rich Asians and the other um, Asian American movies came out, it was like you know Asian August, <laughs> and then after that, it was Asian August forever. Right. And so people were like, you know, say it loud, say it proud. We're not going to be quiet. Mm-hmm. We have economic power. Mm-hmm. We have social currency. And and I think that it it all of this allows different populations to step up right. and voice their opinions. And you know, I've been like doing this stuff in food for a long time and I realize that you basically, you know, need like this little com- this community for yourself. Mm-hmm. And it can grow. It can start small and it can grow. And then you create your own, your tribe. And then eventually, but you got to keep going. You can't Mm. just, you know, you can't feel bad about yourself and and go, oh, God, you know, the New York Times didn't write about me. Well, you know what? They may, it's, you know, you just got to keep going. (laughs) And they're not the only player in the house here. Right. I love that you described this sort of point of of no return. Like this is, um, you know, we're not going away. This is yeah, not, yeah, yeah, and and you have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an industry where, you know, I don't expect to like be able to buy a retirement home. <laughs> yep, <laughs> in the Caribbean <laughs> from food writing, probably not. But probably hey, not. You know, goals. And, <laughs> and so I I need to, as my husband always reminds me, to enjoy it and mm-hmm. to find joy in it and to make it something that I know has a purpose for me mm. um, because, you know, otherwise I, I have other skills. I, I used to be a bank examiner for the federal government years ago. So, you know, I, yeah. I can sort of like Second read career. detailed documents, mm-hmm. but I don't want to go back to that career. <laughs> uh-huh. 
you know, and, and so we I hope think you don't. That, yeah, and the other thing that's really wonderful about um, the conversations that are going on um, with with diversity, race, and ethnicity in food is that it's allowed coalitions to be built mm-hmm. for people to to talk across um, uh, color lines and cultural lines. And it, sometimes in the past, like they, you know, I, I was on a panel where it was people of color and, and different backgrounds, but then like the moderator would be white. Oh. And I was like, why does the moderator get to Always, be white? Yeah. <laughs> you know, shouldn't this, like, well, <laughs> it I guess, was, it's yeah. like, so do we need, you know, an ombudsman or like an ambassador? We all speak English just fine. Right. And that's also sort of a, a symbolic of the gatekeeper too, right? Like we we are the one leading this conversation, right? The moderator right. does, or the editor, yeah. or so and so. Yeah, so and so so it's been this thing of of like flexing your your muscles and your credentials, and saying, you know what, I belong here, right? And I'm just as good as anybody else, and I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> I love it. And flex those, the very prestigious um, medal award-winning muscles, since you have, have won last year, and uh, you're continuing to, to write so, so much wonderful cookbooks. And uh, yeah, flex them. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> no, I mean, like, Kathy, like, what about, you know, the stuff that you write, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the show here, you get to ask, you know, more provocative questions. Right, it, I can ask whatever I want, which is really nice. Yes, yeah, yeah, because I, yeah, it's true. I don't have anyone sort of gatekeeping this conversation, <laughs> which is great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's what I like to do. So, and and I really appreciate your going through this um, this career uh, of yours, which has been so fascinating and so inspiring to so many more people who hopefully are listening and looking up to you and seeing what's possible. Well, I have to tell you that I was thinking about this the other day, that when I was coming up, there weren't that many other Asian Americans who, or people of color who, like, were supporting me, to tell you the truth. When you were first writing, like, your first cookbook or and so forth? Yeah, like I mean, they're just, like, they just, uh-huh. it was very strange. Mm, yeah. And, and nowadays, so, and, and I have a background in, like, race and ethnicity mm. stuff. Okay. In my past, a long yeah. time ago, so I understand hyphenated identities right, <laughs> and right. coalition building and what it means. Um, and 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 so I feel that um, because I now that I don't want to be like one of those, you know, like people that sit that sits on a shelf with a halo around their heads, you know, kind <laughs> right, of thing. Yeah. So I do my best to really support um, good work from young people who are coming up regardless of of their background it's just that they do good That's work. That's really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I and there are so many people who are coming up who have great ideas and um that are, you know, non-traditional ideas who are pushing the envelope and and some of them may or may not have like the loudest voices in the room. Right. Um but if I can like give them a shout cuz I'm I look at their work and I'm like, "Damn, they did so much research and they they present Ideas with depth mm-hmm. and with mm-hmm. color, you know, in vivid ma- in a vivid manner. Um, I want to support them, and it doesn't matter what you know their heritage is and what's in their DNA. 
because I mean, you know, and I sound really real idealistic by saying that, but I really want to push that, um, you know, and 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 say to people, you know, it's it's okay to be a banana, for example, mm-hmm. or a coconut, whatever you want to be. Yep. <laughs> Because that's who we all are. We're, we're, we have, like, very complex personalities yes. and lives. So, you know, be your true self. Let it all out. I love that. And I, I love that, um, you know, things have changed a bit since it's, it sounds like um, since you start, first started writing cookbooks. And I, I love that you're um, so supportive of others who um, maybe could use that support that you didn't get at first. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, it's about um, all the time we have, but I wish I could just have more and more time on air with Andrea um, today. But yeah, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation, Andrea, again. You're very welcome, Kathy. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Absolutely. And this book is really, really a stunning, um, beautiful, flexible, as we mentioned, cookbook. And we didn't even touch, you know, scrape the surface of all the recipes. But I hope everyone checks out Vietnamese food every, any day. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, <laughs> right. Um, just out from 10 Speed Press. So thanks again to Andrea. And thanks again, everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eager Words. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>